face-to-face, healthy relationship talk radio with one of the leading specialists and foremost authorities in healthy techniques in relationships. Learn why honor, beauty, leadership, and self-help is important for your empowerment. Get practical information on why you attract your opposite with balancing self-love and health. Also, listen to proven strategies to avoid major interrelationship mistakes that keep you bonded and push people away. Now, here's your relationship specialist and host, Daiya Six. Hey, you guys. Oh, my goodness. How are you guys doing today? My geniuses, you guys better be present. I know that much. Welcome to Face to Face Healthy Relationship Talk Radio, the only talk radio that is dedicated to providing our listeners with what counts, and that is love, relationship, beauty, all while helping you with empowerment and what? Improving your life. You know all that good stuff, you guys, right? I am your relationship specialist and host, Daiya Six. Today, we are joined by our wonderful guest, Jordan Cooper. But first, we have to give recognition and appreciation to our sponsors. So, My question to my listeners, because I know a lot of people have been asking. So I said, okay, I am going to totally be go get straight to the point. I'm going to hit the target. If any of you guys have any fundraiser events coming up or corporate events, if so, then you need to know about One Hope Products, a give back program since 2007. Did you know that that they have helped fund over 1 million meals for children in need? They've planted over 50,000 trees and helped over 13,000 animals find a forever home and so much more, you guys. This is a company with a special impact as a service. So for the past couple of years, One Hope has been part of the top 100 consumer products in our country. That's the United States, <laughs> okay? And One Hope has blessed and they have given over $2 million to nonprofit partners. So if you have a special cause that you would like to support, and um, things like, I would say things like uh, adoption, pet adoption, shall I say, autism, ovarian cancer, feeding hungry, um, excuse me, feeding hungry children. <laughs> See, I get excited talking about them. Then get the support that you need to help raise funds and give back. Also, oh yeah, ask how to get your company branded to stand out and increase your credibility. Become part of something bigger. Be part of a movement that gives back as part of something that, you know, you, a lot of people do every day. And if you're going to indulge in, you know, uh, what, what, what's the word I want to use for this? Cause I don't want, <laughs> I want to say, uh, we're going to, we're going to skip that. But if you guys want to indulge and do good, you should give back all at the same time. And remember 55-0% of the proceeds is dedicated to a cause. Those that I just mentioned earlier and 15% goes to a nonprofit or charity of your choice. So, you know, that's all good, right? I mean, if you're going to indulge, especially in alcoholic beverages and, you know, other certain type of products, 50%, that's huge. Also, 
Miss Indigenous International Beauty Pageant, the only pageant glorifying women with natural hair and beauty, and the first to do it globally is now accepting contestants and directors from all over the country. So if you or someone you know are between the ages of 18 and 30, natural born female, never been married or given birth, you can compete in the only pageant that is representing women with naturalness. So come compete in the pageant where it is not only competition, but creation. So for more information, for One Hope or for Miss Indigenous, all you have to go is to um, www.missindigenous.com. Okay, don't forget that. Now, to all my geniuses. And this would be wonderful, really, to all my Miss Indigenous uh, contestants today because uh, the topic is your relationship with public service, all right, your community. I want to know, have you ever wanted to start a campaign that focused maybe on human rights, your government, you know, you know, how do you go about making a difference and empowering your jurisdiction, your city, your state, you know, anything of that, anything that is in that alignment. And maybe... You may not know, you know, where to start. Maybe you may not know where to begin. Well, today we have with us a guest that can help us answer some of these questions. And he is the whole, well, he is the host of Public Interest Podcast and the president of Revealing Our Humanity uh, Communications. You guys, I want you guys to welcome our guest, Jordan Cooper, to the show. Jordan. How are you doing today? Hey, Dai. Uh, it's great to be here with you. Oh, you know what? <sighs> Finally, right? <laughs> Your day's going good, though. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for, for quite some time. So yeah, good to be with yeah. the listeners as well. Yeah, you know what? So you know what? I want to really indulge, really, and let's get straight into it, Jordan, because first of all, you know, people hear the word public service, you know, and I asked a few people, you know, do you guys know what public service is? And people have a, you know, connotation and a denotation on what public service is. So, you know, first of all, can you explain what is public service? And then we can go into maybe um, how someone can probably, you know, get involved. Well, yeah, I believe public service is probably a little bit different for everybody. Uh, for me, public service, I define it as uh, anything that you do that makes the world a better place, mm-hmm. from charity to running for office uh, to advance uh, a certain ag- policy agenda that you have to uh, working in a food kitchen or uh, volunteering in a homeless shelter. Uh, anything that you do that can make the world a better place, I would say, is public service. And so on Public Interest Podcasts, I've interviewed a variety of individuals, only half of whom are in or have held elected office. And uh, in addition to politicians, I have uh, faith leaders, I have uh, diplomats, I have physicians and attorneys, executive directors of nonprofits who are working to advance a cause and a mission they believe in. And I think all of them are uh, thoroughly engaged in public service. Yeah, you know what? I say the same thing. And and that's why even me, because, you know, I've spoken to you about Miss Indigenous and, you know, all that. And I, you know, my goal is to teach the girls, you know, do what makes your heart pump, what makes your heart beat, you know, um, that public service that you, you know, that you wake up in the morning, you go, oh, God, let me get to work. It's something that, you you know, just want to do something that just really falls in an alignment with like your spiritual growth or who you are. Now, how do people 
get involved with public service? Do you think that they can go to like their local, um, like their local, what their local, um, what is it? I'm I'm thinking about uh, um, commute. No, my God, help me out, Jordan. Um, well, Daya, I, I think the way that somebody ought to get involved in public service is look around you, look at your community. Your show is all about relationships, and essentially. I define politics as a relationship between two or more people. As, uh, politics is ubiquitous in society. If you're looking to get started and involved in public service, look at your community, look at the relationships that you have, identify a need, and then try to fill that need. It can be very quotidian, uh, very, very germane to your daily life. Uh, it could be helping somebody across the street, holding a door open for someone and just uh, you know, making someone's life a little bit easier that day. It doesn't need to be a grandiose plan to run for elected office, though that is perfectly acceptable. Right. <laughs> you should start with what you're doing. In fact, it may be that you might even construe this very show as a form of public service if you're able to use this show, Daia, to help your listeners navigate the ins and outs of relationships and, and find more uh, fulfilling, long-lasting relationships in their life. So really... I'd advise your listeners to look at what they enjoy doing. I know that in my own experience, uh, when I was living in Baltimore, Maryland, and I was unable due to my lifestyle uh, in politics and as a graduate student to have a dog, well, I used to go over to the animal shelter where there were uh, mm-hmm. pit bulls who would sit in a cage all day long, and, and I'd, I'd walk them. And that was something that was pleasurable for me um, and also is something Uh, that really helped the dog. And I couldn't afford to go to the theater. So I'd be an usher and just hand out tickets and clean up trash. So I think the most important thing I'd convey is that public service shouldn't be selfless. I think it needs to be both, both selfless and selfish at the same time in order for it to be sustainable. When you're doing something to help your community, it should be something that, that is intrinsically valuable and worthwhile and enjoyable to you. So uh, I, I guess that's that's how I'd advise your listeners to begin uh, getting involved in public service. Yeah, you know what? And thank you for that. But one thing that I really do like what you said is, um, you know, because people have this ideology that, you know, when you indulge in public service, that it has to be a group of people. And you said it has to be at least, you know, just like two people or more. People don't really think like that, Jordan, you know. So I think thank you for clearing that up, because, um, you know, when people you know, say, hey, you know, I want to get into some type of public service and especially thinking about starting their own. They think they have to get, you know, a, a huge group of people together. But, hey, two and more can really start a very successful, you know, uh, public service, you know, community felt um, uh, situation. So now I have a question for you, though. Sure. What made you want to get involved with public service? Well, I mean, uh, so I've been involved since 1998. Uh I guess I'd say probably as a kid, and I was in middle school at the time, probably, I guess, a combination of uh, my bar mitzvah, which somewhat required me to get involved in public service, and there was a public service requirement in high school in order to graduate in 2003. Uh, I, I really, though, would say that I first worked for the Maryland House of Delegates as a page in high school in 03, uh, and then I guess throughout my life, I've always thought that, and it's been taught to me that that taking ownership in your community is something that's important. Uh, and so I've always valued public service and volunteerism. And uh, I've been involved, I've been on a dozen campaigns uh, in 2010, the governor's re-election campaign. I've been uh, an election judge. As I mentioned, I was a candidate 
uh, in 2014 for the Maryland House of Delegates, which was an unsuccessful campaign in terms of getting me to office, but was successful in helping me build relationships uh, in my community in Bethesda, Maryland. And I thought that might be something that might interest your listeners today is mm-hmm. the sorts of relationships you can really build through the course of public service. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? I'm so happy you brought that up because um, when we come back from our break, I think that's something that, you know, we should focus on for the sake of my listeners. And I'm hoping that um, you guys are really listening because not too many people talk about public service and exactly what it is or even how to even go about doing it. And for all of my future delegates for Miss Indigenous, I'm really hoping that you guys are really eating all of this up because uh, we're not talking for our health. (laughs) You guys, I want you guys to stay tuned. We'll be back in just a second more with Jordan Cooper and all this great information. Stay connected with DIEA 6 for more information on practical tips, proven strategies, and healthy techniques right here on Face-to-Face Healthy Relationship Talk Radio. Attention ladies, have you ever wanted to create a successful platform and a voice for yourself? Do you believe in leadership, diversity, and equality? If you're between the ages of 18 to 30, by October, Miss Indigenous International Beauty Pageant invites you. Come compete and represent your country in the only pageant glorifying women with natural hair and beauty. And the first to do it globally. Teach the world while serving your community. Imagine yourself being the planet's Miss Indigenous. Finally, the luxurious feeling of being a real beautiful woman. Hurry, space is limited. Go to MissIndigenous.com and apply now. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Salt is in nearly everything we eat, and many times it makes food taste so delicious. Even though the 2010 Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommends limiting sodium to less than 2,300 milligrams a day, Men's Health Magazine states that the average American takes in about 3,300 milligrams of sodium every single day. Your body needs some sodium to function properly because it helps transmit nerve impulses. It influences the contraction and relaxation of muscles, and it helps maintain the right balance of fluids in your body. But most of us are getting far more sodium than is recommended. Check out the sodium content in the foods you are eating and limit soy sauce, Parmesan cheese, bacon, smoked salmon, ramen noodles, and salami. It's time to kick the habit of too much sodium. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Baby, I've been thinking about you. Now, back to the only show educating you with the face-to-face system and opposites attract connection. Here's your host, Daia Six. All right, you guys, we are back with Jordan Cooper. Okay, you guys, so we are still talking about this delicious stuff, you know, um, revealing. uh, uh, First of all, Jordan, Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about first the podcast that you have that you focus on, you know. Sure. So, uh, well, it's called Public Interest Podcast. It can be viewed at publicinterestpodcast.com or on uh, a dozen other podcast platforms from iTunes to any other thing that you listen to podcasts on. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, basically I interview individuals about why the world's a better place because they're in it. Mm, 
why the world is a better place because they're in it. Do you ever come across people that do <laughs> that don't even know that answer? You know, a lot of people, even very powerful individuals and well-known individuals, are a little bit taken aback. Um, I don't actually ask that question during the interview, but they seem to uh, have some humility instilled in them, and they seem not to want to think that they're having a big impact on the world. I uh, I guess I try to frame it, just um, frame their work within the context of how their work has made society a better place. I think most of us fit into that category uh, and often just don't frame our actions uh, within the context of uh, improving the world. You know what? I'm so happy that you said that because, you know, a lot of people don't really understand their strengths, first of all. Um, you know, a lot of people are also disconnected sometimes from themselves, from their community, from the people around them. And, you know, and I'm saying to all of those individuals who kind of feel like that, that maybe they are a little disconnected or maybe you're like, oh, I don't know if this is something that I can do. It is. I believe that we all came here to change the world. Each and every single one of us, we came here to help people. We came here to help our environment. We came here to change the world, but the best way that we know how. Okay, so let's get into, Jordan, Mm -hmm. how did you build, like, you know, when it's time for you to interview uh, politicians or anyone in that realm, you know, how do you go about building the relationship with them? First of all, for them to even trust you to even get that, that close to them. Sure. So I guess, uh, well, first, I've been, as I mentioned, in Maryland, very active in Maryland politics for the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over the course of that time, I've uh, sought the advice and the mentorship of many others who had been there before me. And having worked as a staffer in the Maryland General Assembly and then uh, having worked on a number of campaigns and finally uh, having run my own campaign as a candidate, I think I bring a bit of credibility to the table because I understand what other politicians have gone through. Um, and so that's how I got my initial uh, set of, of uh, interviewees. And I guess I moved the governors, congressmen, U.S. senators, mayors, state delegates, senators, council members, um, I, you know, foreign diplomats came afterwards. So what happened is you, I, I met a bunch of, uh, I knew a bunch of individuals. I interviewed the people I knew uh, and then I started building on that and reaching out to other individuals in the community. I, I've worked in a community with many different nonprofit organizations. Uh, and so I've kind of started with relationships that I already had. And so I already had, uh, due to the personal relationship, uh, a fair degree of trust between them and me. And in fact, a lot of the conversations I recorded, we had previously had just without a microphone. So I began with that trust. And I think once I got tens of thousands of listeners and I got Nobel Prize winners and Pulitzer Prize winners and a whole lot of credible individuals, that leads itself um, to have a bit of trust. So in terms of your listeners and when they're thinking about engaging in public service and engaging, having a relationship with their community, I think being present and, and, and participating in different ways in your community, from volunteering to coach a kid's soccer team or, or being a mentor to uh, a, a kid in school or or helping out in the emergency room of the local hospital, whatever, whatever it is you do, riding an ambulance, pro bono work as a lawyer or an accountant, everyone has a bunch of skills. And whatever it is you do, you build relationships with your community. You walk down the street, people begin to recognize you. And I think when people begin to associate you with those actions of public service, that's really when you start getting a reputation uh, that adds credibility, legitimacy, 
and builds trust automatically for future encounters with people that you had yet to meet. And I think, I guess, it kind of builds upon itself. Uh, and, and as you engage in more public service, more opportunities to meet more individuals come along to you. Okay, now let's say that someone has put in, you know, a, a numerous of hours of, you know, of, of community service, and they're like, you know what, I'm ready to take it to the next level. I've already volunteered here. I've already volunteered there. You know, now it's time for me to start meeting some politicians. And let's say someone wakes up one day and they say, you know what, I think I want to meet the mayor. I want to meet the mayor. What do you think some of the steps, do you think the very first thing they should do is maybe call the city? Do you think they should write a letter, send an email? You know, what would you do if you wanted to meet the mayor of uh, Louisiana, uh, the city somewhere in the city of Louisiana? What would be one of the first steps that you would take? Well, first, I'd see if I have a mayor, because actually where I live in Bethesda, Maryland, there is no mayor. But right, if, we, exactly. if I do have a mayor... Then I'd ask myself, well, why is it that I want to meet the mayor? Do I just want to get to know them? Do I want to interview them? Is there a pro- is my garbage not being picked up? Do I have a problem that the municipality needs to fix? Um, and if there is a problem the municipality needs to fix, it may not be the mayor that I ought to go to, but maybe another elected official, maybe my city council member, or maybe I can just contact uh, a certain uh, executive department. Um, I know that in Montgomery County, we have something called 311, where you are in Montgomery County, Maryland, you dial 311 with your cell phone, and then you're able to say, all right, so a tree fell into my living room, I need the county to remove it. Or, you know, there's no snow has been removed from a county street, and I can't drive in the snowstorm, and the county will remove it. So it's kind of a one-size-fits-all access to government. But really, you should be able to feel comfortable reaching out to the office of your elected official, regardless of who you are or what you want. In fact, every American is currently represented by at least about a dozen elected officials from the president of the United States and vice president of the United States to the governor of your state, except for the District of Columbia. Um, So in California, where you're located, you have the governor. Then you'd have the uh, in Sacramento, you'd have the House and the Senate for the state. Um, And then you'd have your potentially mayors and city council members and county council members and county executives um, and then potentially judges and clerks and sheriffs, there's a board of education members, there's a whole slew of individuals who represent you in elected office uh, and also in appointed office. So considering all those different individuals, what I would do if I wanted to meet the mayor is I'd call up the mayor's office, I'd go to on the internet and search and, and find uh, the phone number or, and, or the email address and I'd reach out to the office and explain why I wanted to, to meet and I'd speak with a staffer there uh, and then they would determine uh, whether uh, the mayor will be able to meet with me. It, with large cities, it may be much. It will be much more difficult to meet the mayor than in smaller cities where they have fewer constituents and fewer issues to deal with on a daily basis. Um, so there may be lower levels of elected officials you'd like to meet, but if you're in a small city of a few thousand people, you probably already know the mayor. Um, so it depends really what you're trying to accomplish uh, if you're interested in meeting the mayor. Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right about that, depending. Like, I'm in Los Angeles, so it might be kind of hard to meet the mayor. We don't know. <laughs> but I have a question. I have another question for you. Can, sure. you name, can you name one of the biggest public issues that you feel, from, for just from, you know, from your perspective, that you feel that we are not aware of, but we need to give immediate attention to? What do you think that is? 100%. I think... I think um, 
You know, the greatest challenge facing our nation today, in my opinion, is can be described in one word. You want to know what that word is, Daya? What is it? What is it? Apathy. Oh, apathy. That's a nice one. Yes. Well, one of my favorite words. We're here to talk about relationships, right? And the, the problem is, I think, that sometimes it's difficult for us to really be concerned about what is affecting other people. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of individuals don't understand the extent to which government affects them. Uh, and I think they feel disempowered, like they don't have agency. I think apathy leads to low voter turnout, which leads to a disproportionate influence of special interest groups uh, and of the party establishment in our electorate. And you you see a kind of uh, discontent about the power of special interest and the power of money in politics um, by a great portion of the electorate. And you saw that in the 2016 presidential election, I believe. But I think the root cause of the great influence of money in politics and of special interest in politics is that people aren't making their own voices heard and it leaves a void for other things to to make their uh, agendas known to politicians. So, for instance, uh, you know, I think that people uh, so they may vote for somebody who spends the most money on television ads or on a piece of direct mail, their mailbox. Citizens need to make sure that they learn about their different uh, elected officials. And I'm trying to help interview elected officials and provide them with that ability to virtually meet their elected officials through public interest podcasts. Uh, And I think uh, they really need to turn out and vote and make their voices heard. And if they have a problem, contact their elected officials. And if you do that, I guarantee you'll be much more you'll you'll be welcomed and your input will be much uh, will have a much greater impact in many cases than the influence of special interests. So I think apathy is the uh, greatest challenge uh, facing the United States today. Mm, You know what? Gosh, I have to agree with you on that, you know, and I want to advise people, too. And I think I don't know, Jordan, maybe you can help me out on this. Everybody is stuck in their own little bubble, in their own little world, you know, and they think that the decisions that a lot of their senator, their senators, governors, mayors, whatever the case may be, make do not affect them, but it affects them all the time. What do you think about that? Do you think every decision? Daya, we're so interconnected, mm-hmm. you know, and I think a great example is a, is a connection between an independent real estate agent and a teacher in a kindergarten classroom. Yes. The teacher is leading to, to better schools, more educated kids for more future economic growth, which will lead to more individ- individuals who are able to buy homes. But also if you have good schools, that increases property values. And the more uh, pro- and uh, more uh, property that an agent is able to sell for a higher price, the more t- that there are tax revenues to support that school system. So every there, there's a very symbiotic relationship between the schools and real estate agents. Uh, and I think uh, you can find those same examples in every sector of society uh, where we're all impacting each other in ways that often aren't very uh, conspicuous on the surface. Oh, my goodness. You know what? You guys, we are all interconnected. You know, that's one of my favorite words, too. Jordan, you're using some of my favorite words. The first one was apathy. Now you're using interconnected. Those are (laughs) two of my favorite words. (laughs) But anyways, you guys, right now we are speaking with Jordan Cooper. Oh, my goodness. We're going to talk about a little bit more of um, your podcast, Public your public interest podcast. Did I get that right, Jordan? Yeah. So uh, when we come back, you guys, we're getting ready to go on another break. Oh my God, does time flies. You guys stay tuned because we're going to pick Jordan's brain just a little bit more. Don't you go nowhere. We'll be right back. 
Stay connected with DIEA 6 for more information on practical tips, proven strategies, and healthy techniques right here on Face-to-Face Healthy Relationship Talk Radio. Attention, ladies. Would you like to create a platform for your success? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Intelligence, a leader, or trendsetter? What about a queen? Well, if you're between the ages of 18 to 30 by October, Miss Indigenous International Beauty Pageant is looking for you to come represent your country. It's the only pageant glorifying women with natural hair and beauty, and the first to do it globally. Come create value a difference while serving your community. Finally, the luxurious feeling of being a real beautiful woman. Hurry, space is limited. Beat the early bird deadline. Go to www.missindigenous.com. Apply now. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute defines high cholesterol as a condition in which you have too much cholesterol in your blood. By itself, the condition usually has no signs or symptoms. People who have high blood cholesterol have a greater chance of getting coronary artery disease. According to the American Heart Association, more than 120 million Americans over the age of 20 have cholesterol counts that are above a healthy level. Harvard Medical School says that the good news is that cholesterol levels can be controlled. And just by lowering your total cholesterol 10%, you can decrease your heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. Making changes in your eating is important, but including daily exercise is a must. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Baby, I've been thinking about you. Now, back to the only show educating you with the face-to-face system and opposites attract connection. Here's your host, Daia Six. All right, you guys, we are back. Thank you for joining us. Yes. Okay. So, Jordan, what I want to ask you is um, Public Interest Podcast, what is your goal with your podcast? Like, where do you want to see it within the next, I would say, 10 years? Right. So there's a goal with the podcast and, and, and a, as, a, as a means to an end and then a goal as an end unto itself. So obviously, as an end unto itself, which is, I, you know, I'm doing this full time and obviously I'd love it to be financially self-sustaining. But more importantly for your listeners, I think uh, are my goals really as a means to an end. Right now, I'm trying to create more dialogue and reveal our common humanity to each other to achieve a few ends. Namely, um, when I ran for office, a lot of individuals came up to me and said, Jordan, you seem like a great guy. Why are you running for politics? These are all politicians are terrible people. You don't want to be a politician. And I think that's a symptom of every time you open a newspaper or turn on a TV, you see a politician screwing up. They're uh, engaging in illicit activities. They're, engaged, they're corrupt. There's problems. And every time you, you read about a politician, it's negative. So, you, so it, it's rational to think that people would conclude, well, if every time I read about a politician, uh, the politician's bad. I think maybe, therefore, all politicians are bad. And my theory is that it, that most politicians are actually noble, honorable, and doing the right thing. 
The only thing is with the diminishment of the local press and in combination with the fact that by doing your job, you're by definition a little bit boring. Uh, these politicians aren't getting covered in the news. They're not newsworthy. So I'm trying to make politics seem a little bit more noble uh, and honorable uh, and improve people's perceptions of politics. On the other hand, I don't want people to limit their ideas that we spoke about earlier of public service just to politics. So half my interviews are not political at all. I have rabbis and imams. I have executive directors of healthcare nonprofits. Uh, I have uh, Nobel Prize winners and Pulitzer Prize winners, journalists, hospital CEOs, a whole range of individuals uh, who engage in public service. And I do that so that individuals who are listening to my podcast who think, you know, I love the idea of public service, but I don't want to be a politician. Well, I want to give them something that they can aspire towards. And there's another thing I, I, I do with the podcast, which is I think there's a rising tide of intolerance uh, and fear in this country and around the world. And you see that with the Brexit vote. You see that with the referendum on Scotland. You see that with the election of Donald Trump, uh, the rise of extremist far right parties in Europe. And when you look at all of these different elements, I think there's a real fear of X, Y, Z type of person. Um, so I think if I if I have a real if I'm xenophobic and I have a, and I really dislike foreigners or Islamophobic or homophobic, whatever sort of phobia I have, uh, I think I may be able to become more tolerant if I'm exposed to those individuals and I have them humanized on a podcast. And uh, therefore, by being exposed to them and seeing what they're all about, maybe I'm a little bit less scared and have more tolerance of them. So those are a few of the many uh, elements that I hope to achieve through Public Interest Podcasts. You know what? That's good because, you know what, everybody do not know what a lot of the politicians do, especially the good ones, because the news only cover the bad ones, <laughs> it seems like, you know, and that's almost like throughout our country. It's like the news always wants to focus on something horrific, you know, and I don't understand why it seems like that. But then, I mean, once in a while, we'll hear a good deed that a politician have done, but it's never glorified. We'll hear about it, but it's never glorified, you know, and I think that's why a lot of people have have, you know, this misconception of, you know, being a politician is like being a straight up a-hole. Bottom line. Right. So, that's what one, right. so I want to, on one hand, show that they're really often great people with noble intentions. And also, I would like to demonstrate the ubiquity of government that we don't even see. Every mm -hmm. time you turn on your shower or brush your teeth, you're drinking potable water. Whereas 100 years ago, people were dying of cholera. And in fact, they still do today because of tainted water supplies clean and, uh, and, and, and uh, potable water is a public health achievement that we have sustained every day through uh, the maintenance of our utility infrastructure by politicians. If you turn on your electricity, again, that's re regulated by uh, government entities and it, it ensures that there's not too much wattage and voltage so that the light bulb explodes on you. When you eat a hamburger, you got to know that it's beef. The federal uh, the USDA and the FDA ensure that our drugs and our food products are all um, actually what they say they are and that the be that the hamburger comes from beef from a cow and there's no sawdust or uh, arsenic in there as there might have been 100 years ago. And, and I think uh, when you look around and you say, well, you know, the public school system is there making a literate society. I benefit from the roads, which I didn't you know, a lot of entrepreneurs will say, oh, well, I created this trucking business and that's all free enterprise. And I want to show that government is everywhere. And in fact, that trucking business couldn't exist 
without a publicly financed uh, road system, uh, notably the, the largest network being the one, uh, the interstate highway system started by President Eisenhower in the 1960s. So everywhere you look, any single product you have, I can demonstrate how government has facilitated the delivery of that product or service uh, and made it better. And I, I hope individuals realize how much they benefit from government. I think a lot of people rail against how much they pay in taxes without really realizing the benefits accrued to them by those very taxes. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this then, Jordan, because, you know, you know, I'm from Michigan, right? And, you know, I'm getting re- you know what I'm getting ready to bring up, right? Went Michigan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so oh. when we have situations like that, mm-hmm. it just looks obvious that, you know, the people there aren't cared for or that the government um, may be literally uh, targeted. You know, what do you say about situations like that? Because, you know, the water, even now, you can't drink it. You can't bathe in it, you know, and, and it's sad. What do you say about situations like that? So just for our listeners who don't know about the Flint, Michigan incident, uh, it's a city uh, in Michigan, somewhat near Detroit. And uh, basically what happened is the water supply uh, is now not drinkable. Um, it's been tainted. They changed the water source uh, and they added a new chemical or they forgot to add a chemical. Anyways, the pipes are deteriorating. Uh, the pipes are made of lead and there used to be a chemical they put in the pipes uh, in order to prevent the lead from leaching into the water. And I think they stopped using that chemical. In any case, the lead pipes are now deteriorating such that the water that they're, that people get out of their tap is filled with lead, which is a heavy metal, which can cause serious brain damage and even potentially death. Yeah, so and some what? people have died. Some people have died. It's extremely toxic. They have, they do have a, a, a um, you know, a trail of deaths that have happened in Flint, Michigan, as well. Yeah. So there's, there's two ways to approach Flint, Michigan. Mm-hmm. One is elected officials screwed up, didn't take, weren't accountable, didn't uh, own up to uh, the disaster, didn't act quickly enough, try to keep it quiet, and really didn't, really violated the public trust. Exactly. Another way, another, there's another way to look at the situation, mm-hmm. which is everywhere else in the United States is not Flint, Michigan. Right. And your elected officials are ensuring that their water is not poisoned by lead. So you can see, you can choose to focus with what the news has done. You can choose to focus on Flint, Michigan, where there was clearly malfeasance and irresponsibility. Or you can focus on a 99.9% of the rest of the country, most all 49 other states, most of all juris, other jurisdictions that are not having crises uh, in their delivery of the water supply because there is sufficient maintenance uh, of, of the public water and sewer infrastructure uh, and public elected officials are holding um, uh, the utilities accountable. So I think you can, on the one hand, say in the vast majority of cases, there are non-incidents, Right. Right now, today, Daia, in Los Angeles, there was no incident, I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that, that lead got into the water, right? And that's a, that's a great achievement. Another thing that is not news, today, lead did not poison the, all the water supply of Miami or New York or Chicago. And those mm-hmm. are all great achievements that don't hit the news. It's the same thing I'm trying to cover with, um, po- with good politicians. It's the one failure, the one screw up that gets all the news. But it's not newsworthy to say, you know what, today in Kansas City, Missouri, there was no disaster with the water supply. And I think that's what we really need to be cognizant of and and remind ourselves that, in fact, most 
jurisdictions are succeeding in delivering high quality water to residents. And it's just one situation of one city that unfortunately is having issues. Okay, so if it's just one situation, okay, that has literally broken the news and, and whatever, why is it taking them so long to clean it up? Like, why is it, you know, anytime there is one situation where the rest is pretty good, you know, and we can use this with anything in life, most of the time, because everything else is good, that one little thing, once we focus on, then it becomes a thing of the past. How come it has not become a thing of the past? And it's been how many years? Like, what's five, five years now? Uh, I think it may have been a year and a half, but I'm not an expert, honestly, on the Flint, Michigan crisis. What I can tell you as an analogy is that in Washington, D.C., we have a metro system. Metro is is an underground subway. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of attention paid to metro lately because it's its service and reliability has really been deteriorating Mm -hmm. uh, because the trains and the tracks are at the end of their 40 year lifespan and things are breaking down. Um, and so uh, you ask, well, why is it taking so long to, for them to fix the pipes in Michigan? Because I think potentially there's a whole bunch of problems. Uh, and the, the lead in the pipes was just one symptom of much larger uh, of a much larger problem, which is uh, neglect of infrastructure over a long period of time. Yeah. So yeah. I, know, yeah. I know you have uh, thousands of miles of pipes. I know in D.C. we have just hundreds of miles of track. And you got to replace the track or replace the transistors and replace all the cars and replace this and that and train, train new people to be safety inspectors. And all that takes a lot of money and a lot of time. And they may not have the budget for that, even if there are emergency funds appropriated by the federal government. So in order, it's not just a matter of fixing one foot of one section of pipe. They need to replace all their pipes. You know, it could be thousands of miles of lead pipes. To replace thousands of miles of lead pipes might normally take a decade, and they're trying to probably expedite it. But lead can come in uh, from lead pipes at any section of the pipe, and you have the entire system needs to be replaced. That's probably why it's taking years is because you can't instantaneously replace thousands of miles of pipe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Well, you know what? you got to invest in it over time. Yeah, you do. You do have to invest over time. But I, sometimes I get a little confused, Jordan, because I say we can put all this money into war, war that I think that, you know, sometimes we don't even really <laughs> need to, you know, be a part of, you know, a misunderstanding, you know, misconceptions that the United States have with, you know, other countries, others, you know, and, and I'm saying to myself, you know, if we can all just sit down, I mean, everybody says that they're grown, you know, why can't we, you know, get it together and help the cities and the states that actually need it the most. Now, you guys, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this. And if you guys want to tune in and see us live, go to Facebook Live, go to Health Relationship Talk Radio, and we will be right there. Stay connected with Dia 6 for more information on practical tips, proven strategies, and healthy techniques right here on Face-to-Face Healthy Relationship Talk Radio. many calories in 45 minutes of yard work as in 30 minutes of aerobics. 
Yard work is a total body workout consisting of pushing, pulling, lifting, and carrying. Using a push mower alone can burn 300 to 500 calories in an hour. Raking and bagging with a pooking fork, that's a fork often used in gardening, burns about 330 calories per hour. Cleaning and digging with the dibble, that little hand spade, can burn approximately 400 calories an hour. Stay fit by horb-gorbling. That's just puttering around the yard. To me, a perfect summer day is when the sun is shining, the birds are singing, and the lawnmower is broken. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. You've just finished an invigorating workout. You feel refreshed, rejuvenated, and you are ready to seize the day. The question is, should I eat after my exercise? The answer is yes. I tell my clients to eat as soon as possible after they exercise and always eat within an hour of your workout. This window of time is the most beneficial period for your body to receive post-exercise nutrition. Focus on protein and complex carbohydrates to replenish your body. Whole grains and brown rice are good for your complex carbohydrates. For protein, eat skinless chicken breasts, fish, beans, eggs, and protein shakes. Fuel your body within one hour of finishing your workout and keep your energy reserves in tip-top shape. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Baby, I've been thinking about you. Now, back to the only show educating you with the face-to-face system and opposites attract connection. Here's your host, Dia Six. All right, you guys, we are live. Oh, my goodness, with Jordan Cooper. So for all of you that who have been listening and you guys want to ask questions about your, you know, maybe about your government, maybe about how you can intervene, maybe how you can, you know, get a little bit more involved, you know, um, um, do something that literally makes your heart pump, you know, do something that uh, literally gives back to your community. And for all of my Miss Indigenous contestants, you guys, I'm hoping you guys are tuning in to uh, face to face healthy relationship talk radio today with Jordan Cooper. OK, so, Jordan, are you ready? I'm ready. You're ready. <laughs> OK, so what I want to say to you is this. Has that well, before we do that, before we do that. To any of those that who may be listening and may live in Flint, Michigan, where the water is bad, where the water is, you know, is just straight up toxic, they can't do anything with it. What do you think should be their first steps? Because we have a lot of people that say that the government, that the city council, that nobody's listening to them. What do you think their very first step should be as a community? So as a community, I think the first obligation you have is to notify your elected officials uh, the moment that you see a problem. I think uh, a problem was first discovered, uh, and no government action, I think, if uh, I only read about it from time to time in the New York Times, but I am under the impression that it took a year for real government action to begin to take place and for the media to pick up the story. That's inexcusable. You got to reach out to your elected officials. You have multiple elected officials. We covered that earlier in the show about the different levels of government. Um, and then I would try to reach out directly to the water, and, and hopefully your elected officials will help you navigate um, local government. And, of course, if you're unable to get in touch 
put their elected officials, bring the story to the press. That's what the fourth estate is for, the fourth estate being journalism. Uh, make sure that everybody, you gotta, you can't keep the story to yourself because you know what? I bet your neighbor is also suffering from lead in their water supply. So make sure that everybody knows about it. But before you go to the press, I would first start with going to your elected officials and trying to help them help you and help the whole community uh, and, uh, identify what the problem is and what a potential solution could be. Okay, so you're saying start with the elected officials. That's what I would do. Their phone numbers are on government websites. Their email addresses are there. Contact their office. They'll help you. All right. Okay. Well, there we go. Now we know that um, you have you have talked to certain ambassadors, right? You've spoken to certain ambassadors that are outside of the United States. So right. can so, you? Uh -huh, wait a minute. I have a question for you. You okay. ready? <laughs> I'm ready. I jumped the gun there. Lay it on me. So I want to know, what is their ideology about hum well, individuals, communities in the United States of America? Because we always hear that they can't stand us, that it's just, you know, that they wish, you know, death upon us, you know, things like that. What are some of the... Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So I've interviewed a number of different ambassadors to the United States who represent their nations in the capital in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Um, now, when you did so, so earlier today, I mentioned I defined politics as relationships between two or more people. It's also relationships between two or more entities. So what diplomacy is, is a relationship between their nations, say Czech Republic or Chile or Belgium or Sri Lanka and the United States. And what they're trying to do is advance the public interest. Uh, and, and of course, it's the everyone has a different set of parameters for what constitutes the public interest. So the Belgian ambassador is interested in improving transatlantic relationships and making and ensuring uh, that NATO, which is a North Atlantic Treaty Organization, continues to be funded and that the United States continues to support um, the European Union uh, with its alliances uh, and then, of course, you may have Chile, which or or, um, or Peru right now is undergoing a natural disaster. They're having, uh, as a result of climate change, they're having massive animal die-offs as the temperature of the water increases. Fish are dying. You're seeing huge amounts of mudslides owing to a greater amounts of precipitation than usual. Uh, you have a, a huge amount of uh, displaced population due to the destruction of villages because of those mudslides. And so what Peru is interested in doing right now in 2017 is getting some more foreign aid from the United States in order to help its citizens recover from the disastrous effects of man-made climate change. You'll have a different country like uh, Cyprus, which is potentially uh, entering into negotiations this summer uh, to reunify the country. Right now it's divided um, between basically uh, 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 the Greek side to have one unified island nation. So each country has its own agenda and the ambassador is here representing that nation because obviously the president or the foreign minister can't be present in every capital of the world all the time. And they try to do cultural collaboration and invite individuals. At the month of May, a lot of uh, embassies open up their doors to the public for one Saturday a year. And so they're trying to represent their country and improve relations. And a lot of these countries are allies of the United States. And, they, and I'm not, it's, that's not to say that everyone has a favorable impression uh, of the United States. But I want to, I guess, 
use an example that would be very familiar to all your listeners. So right now, the president of the United States is Donald Trump. Right. The president of the United States is Donald Trump. Lord bless us. (laughs) Now, a year ago, the president of the United States was Barack Obama. Right. Now, you can imagine that many of the individuals who voted for Trump did not vote for Obama and vice versa. And the same thing goes with George W. Bush. So what you see is, uh, let's say, half Americans, of all Americans, approve of, of, of uh, Barack Obama and would not approve of Donald Trump. And then, of course, a significant number of Americans elected Donald Trump to be our president and elected George W. Bush to be our president and elected Bill Clinton. These are all very different people. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is to say we're all Americans, but we have completely, some of us have completely opposite visions of what strong leadership is and what the priorities for our nation should be. So just so, when you go to other nations, there are huge populations that very much uh, are supportive of and approve America's agenda, uh, foreign relations agenda, and our adventures in the Middle East. And there are others that think that we're way too involved and we're too violent and we're too imperialistic. So there's certainly are sentiments around the world uh, of every flavor, just as there are domestically in the United States. You know what? That was good stuff. But let me ask you this. Have you ever met a politician or an ambassador that could not stand you, that just didn't like you? You don't have to say the name. You don't have to say the name, Jordan. (laughs) Well, the root of the word diplomat, uh, well, I mean, it's it's, it's related to the word diplomacy. And and to be, and and that's related to the the phrase, I guess, to be diplomatic. So the thing about diplomats is they're diplomatic. So they're not going to come out. And even if they don't like our administration, uh, their job is to deal with the administration. And some diplomats um, clearly represent uh, represent different sorts of administration. Imagine you're an, an American ambassador in another country. And imagine you started work 10 years ago. Well, you've represented Barack Obama's agenda, and now you're representing Donald Trump's agenda. Vastly, stark, starkly different views of America's role in the world, and yet you have to represent them both regardless of your own opinion. So really, I think ambassadors try to conceal their opinion of me, conceal their opinion of their own government, and conceal their opinion of the American government. And instead, what they try to do is take the opinion of the government that they currently represent and try to use represent that to our American government, uh, regardless of what the administration is. So I wouldn't say that anyone has been hostile to me, and certainly no ambassador has been hostile to the United States, uh, because, of course, if they were, then I think it would be in their country's interest to replace them. Okay, so so real quick, if someone wanted to meet, or shall I say reach out to some of the ambassadors in other countries, right, who should they call? What letter should they write? What should be their first step in doing that? Did you did you hear me, Jordan? I I did not hear you. Okay, you didn't hear me. Okay, I said if someone wanted to reach out to the ambassadors mm-hmm. in other countries, what should be their first step to okay. reaching out to them? What is like their first step? So, uh, so if you're in another country. Uh, pick a country. Let's say you're in South Africa. And let's say that um, you're in a bad neighborhood of South Africa doing some philanthropic enterprise. Uh, and you're in this township kidnapped. 
right? In that case, the American embassy in Johannesburg or the American consulate in Cape Town would uh, be notified that an American citizen was in danger. And in fact, you even saw today um, that North Korea released an American citizen um, from, uh, from captivity. And of course, there's no American embassy in North Korea, but you can be sure that back channel, uh, diplomatic channels were used to negotiate the release. I was able to get in contact with a dozen uh, European ambassadors in the United States because I'm a member of the media and I'm helping get their story out. I don't think most individuals are going to be able to have an audience with a foreign ambassador in the United States, unless, of course, there's a reason. If you're trying to do business, for instance, if you're the, if the CEO of Coca-Cola and you want to create a new bottling plant in France, then it might make sense to contact the French ambassador and see if you can't get some sort of deals and work through trade negotiations to get your business to create jobs in France. So if there's a reason and there's a need, then you would be able to get in touch with the ambassador. Okay, got you. And you know what? Thank you for clearing that up. It has to be a need, you guys. You know, personally, me, I do international businesses. So and and in reality, I do have a need. Now, here's the last question, because, oh, my God, I wanted to get some questions. But goodness gracious, we're running out of time. Okay, are all I'm going to ask you again, Jordan, are all politicians assholes? (laughs) You know, I had to ask that live. You know, I had to. Right. (laughs) Well, uh, we have less than a minute. No, no, they're not. Uh, I'd say that most politicians are uh, very individuals worthy of great esteem uh, with uh, great noble intentions to serve the public interest. Uh, And of course, it can be public interest can be defined in many different ways. And I think most politicians seek to advance the public interest and only differ on what constitutes the public interest and how to get there. So uh, in some, I'd say, no, most are not. Um, uh, the term that you just used, um, but but are trying the best they can to make the world a better place for everyone. I want to thank you so much, you guys. Right now, we have Jordan Cooper. Oh, my gosh. Real quick, Jordan. Um, tell everybody where they can reach you. We literally got 15 seconds. Go to publicinterestpodcast.com, and you can contact me, Jordan, contact at publicinterestpodcast.com, and my phone number is on publicinterestpodcast.com. All right. Thank you, guys. Love, peace, and blessings. That is it. We are done for the day. If you guys want to listen to the rest of this podcast, I didn't even get to you guys and questions. Oh, my goodness. Next time, we're going to have questions Q&A, you guys. Jordan was going on and going on and going on. He is extremely informative. <laughs> but you guys want to listen to this whole uh, radio show, I'm going to leave a link like I always do. I love you all. Thank you for joining us, you guys. Facebook.